What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James, and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. How fitting is it that we just finished up chapter 6, and Paul was instructing the church on sexual sin? And today, in chapter 7, Paul leads right into instructions on marriage. After all, it is within the context of marriage that sex should be fulfilled and done in a way that is glorifying to God. So let's read the first half of chapter 7 today as Paul instructs the Church of Corinth on marriage and sex inside of marriage. It's a pretty interesting passage. Let's read this together, verses 1 through 20, and then we'll talk a little bit. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should not fulfill, or the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who, are, who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. But for those who are unmarried, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And the man who was a circumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. For it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Okay, so this is quite the doozy of a passage. Obviously, the people in the church of Corinth had uh, some questions, and they had written Paul a letter and asked him some of these questions, and that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's addressing at least one of these questions in this passage right here at the beginning of chapter 7. So, the original translation uses the word touch, uh, which obviously is inferred to as sexual activity, 
when you're talking about this. I, I mean, it, it was kind of a nice way of saying sexual relations, but that's basically what we're talking about is sex. Uh, we we feel a little more freely to talk about sex today because our culture is ingrained in sex and it's not so um, taboo and um, kind of suppressed like it used to be, uh, which is, in a lot of ways, it's good. In a lot of ways, it's bad. Um but today we'll just talk freely um, in this in this uh, podcast, and uh, you know this is about sexual activity. Um, it's about refraining from outside of marriage. It's about engaging in sexual activity inside of marriage, and Paul addresses all these issues. And so this is what we're talking about. So Paul agrees with the question or the statement. Um, it, it it is written as a question, but it's almost like the question is a statement in itself saying that yes it's better to abstain from sexual relations but there's something more concerning that needs to be acknowledged in this passage and that's that sexual immorality was so prevalent and the opportunity to engage in sexual activity was so available that Paul said that it's better that each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband so that they don't fall into the pitfalls of sexual immorality now, I've said it time and time again since we started the book of 1 Corinthians that this is probably um, one of the most uh, paralleled, identifiable uh, books in the entire Bible that we can really uh, identify with in American culture today. And as sexual immorality is so prevalent, so easily available to us today, this is something that we can really understand. And Paul knows that sexual activity is so easily available for all of these people that he actually encourages them to have their own husband, to have their own wife, so that they don't fall into sexual immorality. Now, Paul is reaffirming the fact that sexual activity between a husband and a wife is not only permissible, but it's pleasing and honoring to God. It's actually something that God calls us to do. God calls man and woman to be married. He calls them to be fruitful and multiply. But anything outside of the marriage bed is immorality and is displeasing to God. And so this is the thing that we have to address. You know, sexual activity is one of the greatest conundrums um, in all of Scripture. It's the only thing that as Christians, when you believe in God, that if you're not married, sexual activity is a sin. But inside the context of marriage... You can engage in sexual activity and it be pleasing and honoring to God. And, and that's a very confusing thing. And it's hard to wrap our mind around that in it's the only thing that within the right situation and the right circumstance, it is, it's not sinful and yet it is pleasing and honoring to God. So Paul's addressing this issue um, and, and it's, it is a little complicated. So, so let's talk about this. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Um, verses 3 and 4 are pretty revolutionary when you look at the context in which Paul is writing this. The, the, the time period, the culture, and, and considering the time of history and all cultures around the world during this time, um, men uh, basically owned women. Now, the women may have been their wives, but the women were very much viewed as property. In every culture during this time period, women were considered property. Marriage was a business transaction that was usually carried through from the father of the bride and either the husband or the father of the husband, which negotiated this. 
And for Paul to say that a woman should fulfill her husband's sexual needs would be normal, common, ho-hum talk. That's not that big of a deal. But for Paul to say that a man must also fulfill the sexual needs of his wife is quite unique and revolutionary. And to miss this new teaching would really be robbing this whole passage of much deserved attention to this, to this, uh, to this detail in this moment. So, husbands and wives have a responsibility to one another to fulfill each other's daily needs in all aspects of life, even in the bedroom. And this is super important for us to understand. You know, the wife does not have authority over her body, nor does the husband have authority over his. Rather, that authority is given to the other when the transaction of marriage takes place, and the two are united into one flesh. Now, it is important to know that many scholars believe the people inside the church thought that you could be more holy by abstaining from sexual activity altogether. Now, Paul rejects this idea by calling husbands and wives back to their duties to provide for their partner's needs. And yes, abstinence is good, but it is better to provide for your spouse uh, in all ways, not just sexually, but especially sexually, since we're talking about this in today's chapter. So if you don't have a spouse, then obviously abstinence is the clear path to holiness. But if you do have a spouse, it is your duty to serve them and provide for them in order to maintain holiness. Now, the only reason Paul gives for spouses to not have sex is that if they want to devote themselves to fasting and prayer. And however, it should only be for a short period of time so that they are not tempted to seek out sexual gratification from another source. And verse 6 is a little tricky because you're trying to figure out whether or not Paul is referring to verse 5 when he's saying that this is a concession and not a command, or if he's referring to verse 7. But from what I can understand and what the commentaries say, verse 6 is referring to what he, what he has just said in verse 5, that when Paul is making this concession, basically he's reluctantly allowing couples to abstain from sexual activity for a short time due to fasting and prayer. But this is definitely not a commandment. This is not something he's going to say this is something you should do. He's just saying that it's permissible only for a short amount of time. And Paul is willing to support it. But he knows the dangers and the strength of sexual temptation. And he knows that depriving one another, even for a short period of time, is not a good idea. And you got to be really careful to make sure you come back together and meet one another's needs. So... Paul does go on to support celibacy. Um, he encourages widows and those that are unmarried to remain unmarried. Paul talks about this a few times uh, in different epistles. He, and he often speaks of the obligations and responsibilities of spouses and parents. And Paul insisted that so much more could be done for the Lord if someone were single and could devote all of their time to God. Now, many scholars believe and support that Paul is more qualified to speak about this than what most of us realize. And the reason why is because most of these scholars believe that at some point in time, Paul was previously married. Now, Scripture never speaks of Paul being married, and it really never makes any indications whatsoever that he is married. But um, we can look at a few things that would indicate that Paul was married. And so the first thing is is that Paul was extremely observant to the law and the culture of his day, the Jewish culture of his day. And during this time, 
if a young man was approaching the age of 20 and he was not married, um, that young man would be considered excluded from heaven and then he would not even be regarded as a real man among uh, his people because he was not married. It was very important in their culture for young Jewish men to be married and to have a wife. So because Paul was so observant of Jewish law and so reverent of Jewish culture, more than likely he would have engaged in that uh, whole idea and he would have taken part in that. Now the second thing is, is that Paul was probably a member of the Sanhedrin as he wrote in the book of Acts um, chapter 26 about casting his vote against other Christians. And so more than likely, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and it was well known that you could not be a voting member of the Sanhedrin if you were unmarried. So, <clears throat> again, there's nothing stating for sure that Paul was married. There, there actually is no indication whatsoever that Paul had a wife. But just looking at the situation and circumstances, and even Paul's writing on the matter, um, and his understanding of what it takes for a married person to, uh, to, to, for the responsibility of a married person, Paul knew that singleness was a gift from God. And, and he never required singleness from anyone else, knowing that it was a gift for one person. And what's a gift for one person may very well be a curse or a punishment for another person. Um, and, you know, marriage may be a wonderful gift for a lot of people, and it may help them to serve the Lord in a better way. And even as a pastor today, I can say that I feel like me being married and having children helps me to be a better pastor than what um, I would be as a single man without children. Because there's a lot of things that I just would not understand if that were the case. So <coughs> um, Paul uses marriage as a way for people to pursue holiness. And it's better for you to marry and have an outlet for your sexual desires than it is to burn with lust and continually sin in sexual immorality. So Paul actually uses marriage as a way to pursue holiness in this. So verses 10 and 11 continue on in the passage in a unique way. And Paul commands husbands and wives not to leave one another. Now again, there was this idea among the church in Corinth that abstaining from sexual relations made people holier than others. And many of the people were separating from their spouses in order to pursue holiness through abstinence from sexual activity. Now, Paul refutes this claim and does not make a command for them to remain with one another. Uh, if, if separation does happen, then that person should remain single unless they are reconciled and reunited with their husband or wife. And so that's pretty interesting to see. Now, verses 12 through 16 deal with another issue at hand. Many people's homes were split in the early church. As people got saved, many times their spouses did not get saved along with them. People in Corinth uh, thought that they would be more spiritual and more holy if they divorced an unbelieving spouse so that they could be more focused on God and maybe unite themselves with another believer. But Paul encourages these new believers to stay with their spouses if their spouses are willing to stay with them. And Paul knows. He understands that the saved spouse has the most influence over their husband and wife, and they are the ones that are most likely able to bring their unbelieving spouse to the knowledge, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and to bring their children to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, 
the mere presence of a believer in the marriage and in the home with their spouse and with their children brings about holiness. And for a believer to stay in a relationship with their unbelieving family is of vital importance to their chances of receiving Christ. And Paul emphasizes this. He understands this. And we must remember in our own lives, and we also have to encourage other believers to stick it out in the name of Jesus. Now, Paul finishes up the first half of this chapter by challenging the people of the church in Corinth to remain in whatever situation the Lord has placed them in. (coughs) Now, this is important to remember because obviously... We all make choices, and in many ways, we have to take responsibility and know that we are responsible for a lot of the things that happen in our lives. And at the same time, we have to acknowledge that there are many things in our life that we're not in control of. Um, Yes, consequences of our choices may take us to certain places and may put us in in different situations, but there are many things uh, in our life that happen that God ordains and God places us in situations and circumstances and brings people into our life. And so we have to understand that there are some things that we are in right now in this moment that God is personally responsible for. He is responsible for all things. And he is working in many ways that we have no control or impact in. And wherever God has placed us, we should stay and do our best to serve him in the situation, the circumstances that we're in. So Paul is saying that we should stay where we are when God has called us. And Paul, he's talking about marriage, but he uses this funny analogy that um, if you're circumcised, you shouldn't try to be uncircumcised. And this is obviously kind of rhetorical because you can't do un- you can't undo circumcision. Like once you're circumcised, you're circumcised. You can't undo that. Uh, But if you aren't circumcised, Paul is saying that you shouldn't go and try to get circumcised either. Paul talks about how all the little details and requirements are nothing. They mean nothing. All these little things in the law that so many people like to focus on mean nothing. What is important is that we keep God's commandments, that we're obedient. These tiny aspects of the law that a lot of people like to focus on just don't mean as much as we like to think that they do. Certain foods, unimportant. The day of worship, unimportant. Single or married, unimportant. Married to an unbeliever, unimportant. Abstinence, unimportant. The question is, are you being obedient to God in the situation that you're in? So, Paul talks about whenever he's with the Jews, he behaves like the Jews. He doesn't eat certain foods. When he's with the Gentiles, he behaves like the Gentiles. He eats certain foods. So when he's with the Jews, he worships on the Sabbath. When he's with the Gentiles, he doesn't have to worship on the Sabbath. Um, If you're single, remain single. Serve the Lord. Be abstinent in your singleness. If you're married, enjoy sex. Have Meet the sexual needs of your partners. Um fulfill God, pursue holiness within the context of marriage. Whatever situation that you're in, if you're married to an uh, if you're married and you get saved and your your spouse is not saved, don't divorce them, stay with them. Be faithful to God in the context of where you are when he calls you. When he calls you by name and you become a follower of Jesus Christ, be faithful and honor God be obedient, and in those situations and circumstances, be holy. 
Holiness comes from obedience in the situations and circumstances that we're in, not from the situations and circumstances themselves. So the question that you have to ask yourself today is, are you being obedient in the setting that God has placed you in right now in this moment in life? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this day and for this time together. God, we pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives. Help us to honor you and to glorify you, to live for you, to serve you. And Lord, no matter what situation or circumstance, help us to be obedient. If we're single, help us to be holy through abstinence, through abstaining from sexual activity. Lord, if we're married, help us to be holy by not having our needs met, but by meeting the needs of our partners. Lord, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, help us to be obedient to you. We love you and thank you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks again for another great day. Appreciate you tuning in with us. If you can't come this weekend to our services on campus, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week.